Naomi, my name's Mike. It's great to have you here this morning. What I must do before I forget, I got a text from Sue Wheeler yesterday, which I promised to read out. So typically my phone is playing up. Here we go. Are you ready? Andy and Sue Wheeler. Mike, we're really enjoying our holiday on roads. Andy doesn't have his phone with him and has asked me to send this message on behalf of both of us. Could we ask you to give our profuse thanks to all congregations for their kindness and generous farewells and appreciation last weekend? We were deeply moved with our love, Andy and Sue. So I thought last weekend was wonderful. I thought, well done, everyone. That was a great church effort in really honoring Andy and Sue and really sending them off well. And I'm missing them already. I don't know about you, but I'm missing them. An email came in. I thought, oh, I'll run that by Andy, see what he thinks. I thought, mm, maybe, I, no, I can't do that right now. So um, I'm missing them, but let's not get depressed. Uh, I've been away on a clergy conference this week, learning how to effectively manage Janie and Paul. It was four days long. <laughs> Lots of the team thinks that's probably not long enough. <laughs> and someone stood up and told this story. Uh, they said this, apparently the CEO of Huntley and Palmer Biscuits, for some unknown reason, they're based in Reading, went to talk to the clergy in Reading. And the CEO stood up and said, um, It's great to be here. I have to be honest, I have no idea what clergy do or what you're about. What what, what actually do you do? And apparently the group spoke for about an hour, an hour and a half. And he was about to go. He said, look, to be honest, I still have absolutely no idea of what you guys do. And someone said, well, what do you do? He said, I sell biscuits. And there's a sense, isn't there, that we've decided as a church we're just keeping things simple. In the Christian life, you can get distracted and you can lose the main thing. What's the main thing? It's actually speaking about Jesus Christ, his love, his kingdom, his gospel, the transformation he brings. And so we've resolved to sell biscuits, so to speak. We... um, Actually, you're not alone in this. The diocese are launching their new strategy. I went to their launch explanation a week or so ago. Transforming church, transforming lives. Uh, They've done 12, 12 goals for the diocese. It's really, really exciting. The first is about making disciples. Go into the world and make disciples. And the second one is together to increase the number of new Christians of all ages through persistent prayer, confident faith sharing, life giving worship and the development of 100 new worshipping communities by 2027. This is a brilliant document. The diocese is really exciting. The bishop is wonderful. And they are going to keep the main thing the main thing. They're selling biscuits. And they're not going to get distracted. And that's really, really exciting to be a part of. I've left some of these at the back. If you'd like a copy, it's on their website. And also I've left some bookmarks for you. So as we try and keep the main thing the main thing, as we keep thinking about how can we speak about Jesus today, I want to basically identify three things I think we can think about. This isn't the sort of definitive, this is how you do it, by the way, because I don't think there is such a sermon, but here's three ideas. The first thing we need to do is we need to know the gospel. 
We need to know what the gospel is. You'll know that the word gospel is from the Greek word euagelion. Uh, it was one of the, the earliest descriptions of what the first Christians did, which was speak about the good news of Jesus. That's the gospel. And so we need to know what that is. When I was down in Oxford doing theology, uh, I was walking down a corridor and a Chinese cleaning lady came up to me and said, excuse me, Mike, I want to become a Christian. Could you just explain it to me? And then just, I want to just come to faith. I thought, gosh, that doesn't happen every day. This is a dream. Went into a lecture theater. She didn't speak much English. I'm not being patronizing. I didn't speak any Chinese. And um, on this lecture theatre board, I went through the whole thing, creation, the fall, sort of the coming of Jesus, his death, two hours, diagrams, all sorts of stuff. And I said, well, do you still want to become a Christian? She said, I cannot. And I said, what, 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 why not? And she said, because Jesus is still dead. And I thought, I forgot to mention the resurrection. <laughs> We need to know the gospel, don't we, the good news, if we're to actually, actually see people come to faith. And what is the good news? At its heart, I think Paul's uh, words to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, 3 to 4 are quite helpful. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And we've, we've looked at a bit about what the gospel is the last few weeks. We looked at this idea of God reconciling himself to his people through Jesus Christ in 2 Corinthians 5. So the gospel is extraordinary. It's amazing. You heard that woman's story. It's big. It's grand. It doesn't really react well to sort of summaries and formulas and checkboxes and checklists. It's about God loving his people. It's about God adoring his people. It's about God having the power to transform people and change lives and actually change destinies and change the world, creation, the very cosmos. So this is extraordinary what we're caught up in. And we need to know the gospel, I suggest, if we're to be able to sell biscuits and keep the main thing, the main thing. And I'm not going to teach you to suck eggs. You've been Christians, many of you, a long time. You know the gospel. You know what it's about. So I'm going to press on to my second thing. If we're to communicate about Jesus well, we don't just need to know what he's about and his good news. We need to know the culture into which we're speaking about his things. I suggest. And I read of an explorer recently, this character, this Victorian explorer. He went all around the world exploring. He did all sorts of stuff. And apparently he never learned the language of anyone else in another country or indigenous people. He said this, I find if I speak loudly enough and long enough in English, people will eventually get it. But we kind of do that in the church, don't we? We kind of just have this, this is how we do it. This is how we do this stuff. And we just put it out there. And we package it. And we often don't actually think, how do, how do people hear? What is the culture in which we live? And I remember when I first came to faith, I went to a training event. And um, uh, we were given a formula of what to say. And the final words of the guy leading the seminar was, go suck it to them. And there was a sense you just spoke at people over and over again. 
And I want to suggest that that's a really bad idea. And also, actually, the Jesus and the disciples don't do that. They're very, very aware of the culture, the, the, the first disciples, and when they're speaking about Jesus. And I'm going to send these notes around. I'll make these available because there's, there's quite a lot we could say at this point. But basically, Jesus was the first person to announce the gospel, to tell the good news of what he was about. And he did that in an ancient Near Eastern culture, predominantly Jewish culture. And basically, uh, he does that within the culture and framework of that time. So when he goes into the synagogue in Nazareth, uh, Nazareth, and they're reading the uh, bit from the chunk of Isaiah, prophecy, Jesus says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is when it all starts. And so he's in the context of a synagogue. He's in the context of referring Old Testament scripture. And basically, off it goes. He then hands it on to the uh, apostles. And actually, they kind of, the second phase really is them speaking to uh, other Jewish people, uh, predominantly, within Israel, if you like. And if you look at them and how they communicate, basically, they effectively reference their culture very, very carefully. They talk uh, about the Messiah. Uh, if you look at Peter, for example, on the day of Pentecost, he references Old Testament prophecy, Joel. He tells the messianic hopes and says this is actually Jesus. So he's, what he's doing, he's aware of his culture. Paul does a similar thing, uh, actually, in Acts 13, 15. Uh, He references the Psalms. He reminds them about uh, the historical story of Jewish people. And and he's aware of his culture. And I picked that passage from uh, Acts 17 this morning. Because actually the third big proclamation of the good news of Jesus came when it wasn't Jesus telling his fellow Jewish men and women. It wasn't the, 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 the apostles telling fellow Jewish men and women. It was actually, they started then to speak about Gentiles who had no, uh, no uh, um, familiarity with the Old Testament scriptures, messianic hopes, those sorts of things. And actually, when they speak into that context, into that culture, they speak very differently. And I'll unpack a little bit uh, what Paul says in a minute. So what's our culture, broadly speaking, today uh, in the UK? It's actually a culture in which Christianity is no longer the backdrop to human life and thought, is it? Christianity is well on the peripheries, well on the margins, and uh, actually we have to bear that in mind as we think about speaking about Jesus. We can feel, gosh, this is depressing, this has happened in the last 20 years or something. Actually, this decline has been going on for about 500 years, Uh, It started in the Middle Ages with the Reformation as well, 14th, 15th centuries, new ways of learning, uh, new understandings of life, uh, gathered great momentum in the 18th century with the Enlightenment, Descartes, Locke, Hume, scientific rationalism, this idea that actually if you want to know what truth is and what's reliable, you don't look to the church or God, you look to science. And today uh, we've come through this sort of modernistic, confident, the world is getting better, and uh, actually, we can prove everything in a test tube. That's, we've departed from that now. And we're in this postmodern context where basically we no longer have confidence in reason and rationality. There's been two world wars. Even in our lifetimes, there's been huge atrocities. People aren't getting better despite being well-educated. And actually, we uh, actually have moved from rationalism to experience predominantly. It's, it's a sort of... Um, that's, this, these are all generalizations. But it was interesting, I was thinking about the, the Brexit campaign. It was not about the arguments for staying in or out, was it? 
It's about personalities. What's Boris Johnson like? How does he make you feel? Yeah, it had nothing to do with the content. In fact, uh, there was a lot of lies, wasn't there? The next day, everyone said, oh, by the way, we said that. So we're in an experiential, non-rational context now. And as we think about the gospel, we need to um, think about how we communicate it well today to people who don't believe there is such a thing as truth, who often uh, struggle with this idea of God, who actually often... um, uh, have very relativist morals. If it, if it feels good, you do it. So not about, you're saying that's right or wrong? There's no such thing. And clearly, actually, um, this is generalizations and simplicity, but we've got to think about this as we think about how we can speak about Jesus at this time. So we need to know the gospel, we need to know the culture, and we need to uh, translate. Thirdly, I want to suggest, just as the first disciples did, the first apostles did. And um, basically, Christianity, I remember Andy Weir is saying this, is the religion of ultimate translation. There are many, many translations of the Bible, aren't there? Uh, There's only one version of the Quran. At its heart, Christianity is about translation. Jesus becoming a man and taking on human flesh is the ultimate translation. If you think about that, I'm Mike, I want to talk to this dog. How can I talk dog? I can't really talk dog. I'm going to become a dog so I can talk to the dog. It's phenomenal, isn't it, in terms of a commitment to translation. Are you still with me or am I losing you? Okay, so we need to translate Okay, we need to translate. Okay, when Peter and Paul spoke to fellow Jews, you see, they sought to prove Jesus' identity from the Old Testament. Have a look at Acts 2, Acts 13. And they're actually, their arguments are quite technical and hard to understand. But when they spoke to Gentiles, like Paul did in our reading, uh, actually, they, they communicate very, very differently. And what you see uh, with Paul, he doesn't really refer lots of Old Testament scripture. He doesn't go prophecies. He doesn't go Psalms. He basically begins by agreeing with them that the God is the creator. God's created the world. You seem to get that. We cannot exist without him. Indeed, in him we live, move, and have our being in verse 28. And he draws upon the intimate relational language of their own poets. He doesn't start with the church or the culture of the church. He starts with them. You know, what's the biggest story recently? And my phone was beeping. I was thinking, oh, gosh, another bomb's gone off. I looked at it, and it was, you know, the Bake Off has moved, to, <laughs> moved away from BBC One. The next, then a few days later, oh, my gosh, what's happened this time? What, and Mary Berry's leaving too. You know, it was, Paul is steeped in his culture, and he, he addresses that. For as I walk around, look carefully into your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship... Uh, is something unknown. Uh, You think it's unknown, but I'm going to proclaim it to you. And then Paul starts speaking about Jesus, his resurrection, and tries to work with where they're at, their understanding, and then bring in the resurrection of Jesus. And uh, I think we can probably still do that, where people in our culture do have a a sense of God and openness to spiritual things. And I think lots of people do. But increasingly, there are numbers of people who have no interest in God. They're sort of uh, atheistic, agnostic. And we've got to think about how we can talk to them. And opening our Bibles or starting with a whole load of religious language or all sorts of concepts that they have no idea what we're meaning um, isn't going to help. Okay? 
And uh, I remember giving a, a, an evangelistic talk uh, many years ago, and um, someone came up to me after and said, I, I didn't understand a word you said. And I said, well, okay, that's fine. What, 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 what questions? That is, can I help you with anything? They said, you said the word Lord a lot. What's Lord? Lord Voldemort, she said. I was speaking another place. Someone came up to me and said, uh, you're talking about Jesus. This is an undergraduate. Who, who's Jesus? I said, you've never heard of Jesus? No, never heard of What? So we need to think about this as we think about speaking about our faith. And I want to just get practical as I seek to slightly draw things to a close now. And think uh, about what, what, we, what we need to think about in light of these changes and in light of our culture. The first thing I want to just encourage us to do is be ourself. I think as we, as we think about speaking about our faith, you know, quite a few people with this one initiative have come up to me and said, it's not really me. Or, oh my gosh, you know. Actually, the most important thing we can do uh, is actually be ourselves, be who we are in our skin, in our personality, with our gifts, and not try and morph into someone else who sort of, you know, wear someone else's clothes. Do you ever feel like that? We often think, I've got to speak about Jesus, and you, you immediately feel a bit awkward, don't you? You sort of feel mm, a bit wobbly. Or is that just me? We've just got to be ourselves. The glory of God is a man or woman fully alive, said St. Irenaeus. And we're the first uh, reflection, really, of Jesus people are going to see. What do you like? What do you like at work? You know, if you're a weather system, what's your, what's your weather? Are you a bit cloudy? Are you sunny? Are you lightning? You know, what's that? What's the rain? You know, what's that, that funny rain? I can't think of it. Drizzle. Are you, are you drizzle? I'm really, I'm really challenged by that because I often think, actually, what am I actually reflecting about, God? So we need to just be ourselves, think about how we come across. We need to develop authentic friendships uh, in a culture that no longer goes to rallies to hear Billy Graham, in, in a culture that increasingly is harder uh, to get people to come to the church. We need to develop our friendships. There's been a sense of, actually, it's all about friendship now. And um, that's really, really important to... And not, not a gendered friendships, not sort of, um, you know, you see your friends as projects uh, and people to convert. Because they'll sniff that. You know, who 